Welcome to the Scotland's Choice podcast. The journey to our referendum is underway, so join us as we discuss how, together, we can build a fairer, a more equal and a more prosperous Scotland. Our goal is to ensure that our listeners are informed, that they're encouraged to get involved and will hopefully inspire others to think about the possibilities for Scotland because... As our country renews, we need to choose our own future before somebody else chooses it for us. I'm your host, Drew Hendry MP, and in this episode, I'm in conversation with Laura Brennan-Whitefield. Laura is a local councillor for Air North, having been elected in 2017. She's been living with multiple sclerosis for 14 years and co-chairs the SNP Disabled Members Group. She's a proud mum to a wee girl and is a self-described hardcore Trekkie. Laura, thanks for joining us on Scotland's Choice. Thank you for having me. Laura, let's get straight into one of the biggest issues uh, in the uh, social security system. Universal credit. What, what are the plans for this in an independent Scotland? What would we do differently? I mean, uh, it's safe to say that universal credit has been an absolute failure in terms of actually helping people get into work or dealing with underemployment. I think in an independent Scotland, we'd be looking to take a far different approach, which would probably be something along a universal income guarantee, um, certainly far better for people who are disabled and able to access benefits. So um, think of the possibilities that we could do and and how in contrast, um, treating people fairly with dignity and respect. And I think it's probably worthwhile pointing out that in an independent Scotland, I truly believe we would be progressive. The problem with the Department of Work and Pensions is that they often treat people with suspicion mm. um, and they create a hostility. And yeah. it's probably due to a sort of hangover of the, the right wing media. But this idea of scroungers, um, this idea of fakers mm. and, you know, what that has done to the disabled community cannot be understated. So in an independent Scotland, we have the opportunity to scrap that, put it in the bin where it belongs and actually look at how we can help people with disabilities live their most independent life. You've talked there about the almost the demonising of people that are looking to get support, which is paid for as part of social security, um, you know, by, by all of us, um, including many of those who are now uh, applying for it. Uh, but, th- but there are other hurdles as well. Is the current system and the journal process too difficult for disabled people? Absolutely. Um, it's it's difficult to access. It's, it's unaccessible for many disabled people. And again, it doesn't recognise the barriers to employment that disabled people have. Um, a lot of conditions are fluctuating. I mean, I, for example, have multiple sclerosis. I have good days and I have bad days. Mm-hmm. This system, universal credit and it doesn't provide that flexibility. It doesn't even acknowledge variable conditions. Mm-hmm. So that's a big um, substantial hurdle in access and benefits. And would you say there's a, there's a better way to create a more pers- person-centred uh, delivery system for, for welfare support? Absolutely. I mean, it, you could tailor something to the individual's um, condition. Uh, mm-hmm. You could tailor something to how many hours they're able to work. You could actually listen to their doctors and their medical professionals and act, put in place a plan that would allow tailored employment, if you like, um, as opposed to this sort of broad brush um, sweeping system that we have now, which if you don't fit into a particular category, um, 
it can be very, very difficult. And, you know, it, it, it grinds people down, to be blunt, um, who are already vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely, if you were going to create a system from scratch, then, you know, we will have that ability. And although we have Social Security Scotland, which is up and running, but we'll be creating a new system. It's a fabulous opportunity to, t- to actually make something that's not only person-centred, but actually based on common sense and compassion. Well, following on from what you've just said there, the, the, there is a, an opportunity to do something like a, a named person system uh, to, for a, a, a better approach when you deal with job centres and the other agencies. Is that something that you'd like to see? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's a common fear amongst people who claim benefits, but this particularly from my experience, disability benefit of what I call brown envelope fear. You know, you, you get a letter through the post and you see this DWP on it and you fear the worst. Mm-hmm. And sadly, in most occasions, in my experience, it is genuinely the worst. I think if you were to have something that was actually based around the person rather than this bureaucracy, in terms of just having a system that works for people, mm-hmm. currently the system doesn't work for people. And, and the way um, it's designed at the moment, it's actually costing a lot more than they'd anticipated. You know, if it was a more uh, person-centred system, it'd actually probably be less costly to uh, to run because all this administration just eats up some of the money that should be going to people. Absolutely. And, and you know, the rates of winning appeals are very high. People that do challenge um, the Department of Work and Pensions on their decisions, particularly for uh, PIP, um, win. Um, and you know all that comes with cost and that cost could be avoided by actually listening to the person and taking um, evidence at it at face value but the system is so rigid uh, and it has no room for any sort of um, personalization if you like that so many people just find themselves fighting all the time and when you contrast that with what we could do um, by not wasting public money on on appeals and tribunals and administration and actually getting money into people's hands uh, that need it and are entitled to it because mm-hmm. social security is a is an entitlement and it is part of you know of society for too long i think it's even claiming benefits has been demonized but if we were to take that away and take that stigma away um and and, and actually address some of the obstacles in employment when you are disabled i i think we could do far better for the people of Scotland as an independent nation. Well, let, let's talk about those difficulties um, for disabled people. Is, is it acceptable that it's taking 12 months, sometimes a bit more, uh, for disabled and Ill, Ill individuals to be getting their, their payments uh, from the Department of Work and Pensions? No, that's absolutely not acceptable. In those six months, people will be struggling and people's, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a great believer that stress aggravates existing conditions and can cause new conditions and you're putting people under a great amount of financial and emotional stress the longer you take to do something it is not acceptable in any way shape or form and in independent scotland you know that we wouldn't be going down that route because it it serves no one and at the end of the day usually it gets backdated anyway again going back to cost um so no it's not acceptable so in the meantime they've had all that the the people applying have had all that stress and pain and their families have had to uh, rally around where that's possible sometimes it isn't of course i I wanted to ask you about an an issue that's uh, close to my heart i've been chair of the all-party group on terminal illness for a Uh, a number of years. Uh, Specifically on that subject, is it time for a rethink on the way uh, ill people and the terminally ill 
are uh, treated in regards to social security. Um, the Scottish Government, and one of the things that we have been able to do is say we won't uh, have the six-month rule that's in place as it is in the across the UK on universal credit from Westminster. Is it time to scrap that six-month rule? Absolutely. It's time to scrap that six-month rule. Again, you're, it's you're not looking at the person, you know, you're just making these broad judgments. And every every individual is different, even with a terminal diagnosis, we shouldn't just be applying rules for the sake of applying rules. Uh, it's counterproductive and to be blunt, it's cruel, Drew. Yeah, it's it, very cruel. It, it is indeed, because, you know, there are very few doctors that are willing to give a hard diagnosis of uh, six months for good reasons, because, you know, they can't, uh, make that decision and we've just talked about people waiting for their social security payments for 12 months it, in some cases you're not getting on that fast track it means that people will die before accessing their their benefits and that that's happened to many thousands of people now uh, during this system so uh, let's look at uh, the employment support allowance system at present in my view it punishes those who wish to work and it's too strict and uh, rigid uh, can, could this be improved upon and be made more flexible, uh, not just now, but in, in future? And, you know, would you see that happening in an independent Scotland? Yes, absolutely. It's too rigid. I mean, again, every disabled person is different. Every disabled person will have the ability to, you know, work some hours or... It's 16, some... I think it's only up to 16 to 20 hours, isn't it? Yeah. 16 to 20 hours and some disabled people will not be able to work at all and I think that's really important as well um, that we that we don't measure people on their ability to work um, and so forth that there's other ways to contribute towards society than GDP. For me the, the ESA issue is that there will be disabled people who can work less than 16 hours and, and want to work um, in less than 16 hours, but currently um, they will be punished and penalised for that. Uh, that literally, to me, makes no sense. Uh, does the disabled person and legitimate claimant serious, you know, how, how, how can you say the system is working when someone is wanting to work and there's active deterrence to them working? I think that shows it's a broken system. And so is there more, do you think, that uh, government can do now to support disabled individuals into work when they're willing to do so? Yes, I mean, I think they have to be flexible about the hours. Mm -hmm. um, I think they have to truly acknowledge that not everyone can work full time uh, for, you know, for medical or disability reasons. I think there's there's something about paying the real living wage, not yeah. the minimum wage that they've rebranded as the living wage, because at the, at the moment, it's what Alison Thewlis calls the pretendy living wage at Westminster. Excellent name. I'll, re I'll remember the pretendy living wage because you can you cannot live, uh, you know, any quality of life on on the minimum wage. And I, I think there has to be right now. You know, they, they find money for lots of things, um, the UK government, and I won't get into all of the the minutiae minutiae of that but they could easily find money in order to help people transition to uh, work that they can do and and again as you know as part of covid recovery as well we now have a new condition that didn't exist uh, we have long covid mm -hmm. people are being affected by that and we we need to understand as a society that not everyone can work full-time and we have to just listen to people and believe them as opposed to this sort of I call the hangover of, of the, the sort of scrounger, you know, 
labeling of people if we actually listen to people most people are genuine and honest when they when they actually fill in the forms and they're telling the truth um unfortunately the current system effectively demonizes them with yes. the help of the right-wing press yeah. so absolutely there's more that the government can do uh, in my opinion uh, Westminster is not choosing to do it. You mentioned Covid and spending choices there in the same uh, mm. reply of course we've seen some of the spending choices that have been made at Westminster in, t- in terms of the contracts that have been given for uh, sometimes hundreds of uh, millions of pounds to, uh, to friends and uh, and uh, people on their VIP list or they could be making uh, different uh, different choices. Let's move on to um, something that uh, has been floated a number of times and it, it came to the fore during uh, COVID when we had furlough and other things uh, put into place to support people uh, during that time. Is there a route to streamlining disability benefits whilst introducing a universal basic income? Yes, I mean, I think it's important that the universal basic income doesn't replace disability benefit. I think that could be one of the dangers, mm-hmm. um, you know, but yes, there, there is definitely a way to streamline it. I mean, if if you were to, again, look at the individual out with of this current system and actually look at what support they need um, and, and what adaptions and, and how, because at the end of the day, being disabled costs more money as a yeah. disabled person um, and and that's really not acknowledged a lot and you know and in, in the current zeitgeist it's, it's not acknowledged that it costs more to get around because you're relying on taxis you know it costs more to do things because sometimes you've got to have somebody with you the reason you know but that's never really acknowledged i think if you know there is more we can do to support people but again it's the willingness of westminster to do it that i'm not seeing I'm yeah. not seeing that willingness. Um, again, it's just back to business as normal, back to filling in forms that aren't even pertinent to the health, you know, issue that you have. I, you know, from personal experience, I, mean, I was asked if I could put on a hat umpteen times during my assessments. I've got multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes my legs just, you know, just don't work and I, and I fall over. But unless you can answer these specific questions because there is no leeway there is no personalization um and it's it's far too rigid and yeah. that's the problem yeah I've, I've heard of the you know people being asked if they can walk a, a hundred yards well you know and the answer is uh, quite often because they want to say something positive they'll say yes but what's not taken into account is that might be on a good day uh, they can walk a hundred yards, and you mentioned the 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 complexity for people there. One of the things that's very uh, newsworthy at the moment is the cost of energy. And of course, if you're uh, if if you're staying at home because you're disabled, uh, your energy costs are going to be higher as well. So there are more costs there. I think if I'm correct, is about not including legacy uh, benefits. There's about five or six different disability systems that people have to navigate. Isn't that the case? Yeah. Yes, and it is incredibly complex. And some of those benefits passport you into other benefits. Some of those are now defunct benefits that, you know, your legacy benefits, as you pointed out, if you actually looked at it, you know, in its its entirety, um, it'd be hard to mind map. It is so difficult to navigate. And when you're trying to claim benefits, just looking at that that landscape, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so daunting where would you start and without support some people you know just fall through the cracks and and that's and that's where they struggle because because of the rigidity of the system you know and and they're falling through the cracks and like you pointed out the cost of living is getting higher um there's no doubt about that you know inflation is going up cost of food is going up 
like you point out, the cost of heating will go up. All of that's going to hit disabled people far more because of essentially not not being able to leave uh, or maybe work full time and you're in the house. It, it just strikes me, you know, when you think about independence, how different we would make a system. Nobody, nobody would design a system like this from scratch. It's not even, it doesn't make any sense. It's not intuitive. It, it, it you know, it's ridiculous. It's not from a strategic point of view, from a, you know, an actual operational point of view, it's not functioning. What an opportunity independence would give us to do something better. Well, let's let's move on then and, and talk on that theme about the fact that you know Scotland does have some social security powers now. Uh, just as an aside, every time I've raised universal credit in the the Commons, the the, uh, the answer is always, you know, well, why don't the Scottish Government do do something about it? Ignoring the fact that we have no powers over universal credit and we only have about 15% of all the social security powers. But let's talk about uh, those um, just now. It, social Security Scotland will administer the 14 uh, benefits when fully operational, and that's worth about £3.5 billion. It's being built, you talked about a different approach, it's being built with uh, fairness and compassion at its heart. In what ways has Social Security Scotland improved people's lives so far? So in contrast, and and I think the contrast is so um, sharp in terms of, you know, the tagline is fairness, dignity and respect. Indeed. And you can see that running through the, the benefits that they've rolled out, whether it's funeral support grants, mitigating the bedroom tax in, in itself, you know, child well, you've payment. The, you've got yeah. things like the low-income pandemic payment, the free school yeah. meals, school uniform payments, uh, uh, funeral support grants, young carer grants. It, mitigating the bedroom tax is a whole bunch of things in there, isn't there? Yes, and I mean, the child and disability child payment went live uh, yesterday, I, I, I believe. You know, it, it's unfortunate that we don't have more. Um, like you say, we've, we've only got around you know 15%, we don't have the what you would class as the out of work benefits which would cover universal credit and I, I think the Smith Commission really should have looked at either give us you know give us it all um, that would make far more sense than what we've got right now because you know on one hand a person will be applying in Social Security Scotland they'll be treated one way um, and then they'll apply for the Department of Work and Pensions and be treated a completely different way. Um, it, again, it's a missed opportunity. However, um, with independence, we will be able to do everything. And, you know, that that will make the, the that, that will be, I actually suspect that as people see that you can do things differently in Social Security Scotland, that you don't, you know, you don't have this rigid, rigid system and people aren't doubted from the minute that they phone up it will increase people's confidence that we indeed can actually um, administer our own benefit system. Of course we can. We started this conversation talking about being people-centred and, you know, for that approach, uh, you know, to, to be taken in uh, in social security. In your view, um, would an independent Scotland treat disabled and ill people as, uh, as important members of society? Do you think we build a system that would be uh, strong for disabled people? Absolutely. Because, you know, we are a progressive nation. Right now we are, you know, we're tied to Westminster government that is moving further and further to the right. And you can you can hear that in, in, in the rhetoric and, and the way that they talk about vulnerable people, whether it's disabled people or migrants, you know, they, they seem to have no heart, for want of a better word, no real empathy or compassion. 
I think an independent Scotland would have empathy and compassion. I, th- I think, I, I, th- I think that's a that's a given because not only is it the right thing to do, treat people in that way, it's also the common sense thing to do. And it, the, the current the current model was self defeating, as we discussed earlier. You know, the bureaucracy around it just doesn't. It, it costs more because you're treating people in a in a certain way, um, and then if you'd actually just listened to what they said in the first place, and it, it becomes very um, clear that independent Scotland would give us the opportunity to actually start from a blank a blank slate and build something fit from purpose. I think one of the problems with Department of Work and Pensions is it's been going for so long um, and it's had so many different universal credit was going to go ahead, then it was dropped, then it went ahead, and then the, and despite it was delayed and then it went ahead. All of that has just caused more and more people to fall through the net and it costs more and more money. Mm. Every, every time they try to effectively uh, make small changes to this big, monolith of bureaucracy it costs more money so we would learn from their mistakes because we know their mistakes um because we're living them um and and we could build something that would be built and to stop um you know these things from happening as we were building the system as opposed to trying to retrofit it now Laura, why should people with disabilities vote yes in the referendum for scotland because uh, it is an opportunity to actually understand that as a disabled person, you know, you, you have so much to contribute towards society. And whether that's in work or out of work or whether that's volunteering or whether that's activism, you know, you can contribute to society. And I don't think we've heard that. We've not heard that from, from the unionists or from Westminster. We've not heard that, that disabled people bring a lot to society. The lived experience, you know, the, the skills that you pick up as a disabled person are unique. The ability to multitask, you know, the, the ability to, to have compassion and empathy and, and, and actually, you know... <laughs> For me, the status quo is not good enough, you know, and I have no faith that it will ever be good enough in this current union of supposed equals because there's no evidence to that effect. In fact, my greatest fear is if we continue going down this route, it will simply get worse. Um, And as usual, it will be people who are the most vulnerable and who have the the least in society that will suffer Mm -hmm. because they're not, um, you know, uh, rich and uh, you know friends of Tory party donors in independent Scotland I truly believe we could be the, the progressive compassionate nation and country that we are and it, we would get rid of the shackles of this nonsense and on that note Laurel thank you very much for joining us on Scotland's Choice thank you very much for having me so to sum things up I asked Laura whether or not she thinks disabled people would be more valued in an independent Scotland. Aye, absolutely. Um, We have so much to give and we are giving so much. In an independent Scotland, I actually believe that would be recognised and nourished to its full potential. And finally, I wanted to know Laura's one-sentence pitch to both disabled people and the wider public for voting yes in the next referendum. Because it's an opportunity to build a system and build a society that treats people fairly and with dignity and compassion. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget you can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot. If you can share this podcast, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. I'm Drew Hendry and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice.